Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh. How are you? I'm great, Christian. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Thank you. And also with us, as always, is the guy we cannot do anything without, Jason Rugg. <laughs> Hey there. Hey, Jason. I like that fuzz you got going on there. It's a new yeah, thing. Yeah, I just, I haven't really shaved in a week, so just, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> it's Look nothing good these. so far, but we'll see. See <laughs> you guys. Hey, how are things on the movie proposal, Josh? Anything interesting coming up? Well, uh, if you haven't checked out the interview with uh, Tony Bancroft, he did a, a Netflix movie. That was a lot of fun. And then Kevin McCreary from Sagan I Kevin was also a lot of fun. So those were a couple episodes back. Um, upcoming, well, you know, in the world of film, movies are just like this week beginning to go into theaters for the first time. And so, you know, the first kind of, I think, big, big release won't be till September 3rd. So by the time you hear this, it'll probably be past September 3rd. But uh, right now we're checking out streaming stuff and it, it feels like, it's January, you know, when there's just not a whole lot to watch. Yeah. But it's August, and we should be watching blockbusters right now, but we're not. And so, yeah, we're, we're kind of struggling. We're we're trying to figure out what to do next. We're like, I don't know, Hulu released a thing. Should we do that? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a confusing time, uh, and I can can you know I can attest to that because I had a very strange experience this weekend, thanks to COVID. Um, but we received super exciting news this week, which I'm not allowed to announce at the moment, but I will tell you. <laughs> what? All right, I, give us a clue. I, okay, a clue. I'm going to give you a clue. I'm going to give you a clue. Um, the clue is I had to record, pre-record two acceptance speeches. <laughs> no way. What? Yeah. I did, which is so exciting and terrifying because, <laughs> and also potentially heart crushing, you know, because you're sitting here accepting awards and you may not end up with them. Oh, wait, wait. So you were like nominated and they just want the pre-recording? Actually, we made it to finalist in two categories. Oh. And there are only three finalists in each category. So we do wait, have a wait. one in three chance. Hold on. You, you don't know if you've won yet, but you had to give a speech as if you have already won? Exactly. That's a little H cruel. Hollywood is so fake. <laughs> this, 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 this is all, it's all just fluff. It's all, I don't believe anything anymore, right? I know. That's why I, I, I wanted to talk about this because it truly is a very strange thing. And I'm sure that this does happen. I've actually seen it happen before when people are nominated and they can't be there. But this time oh, it's sure. happening yeah. with everyone because of COVID. So in this film festival, it is a hybrid. So, but for the most part, it's online. And so people are not going to be there for the awards to be announced. And they're not going to tell who wins the award until the closing ceremony. So, um, you know, everybody that is a finalist had to record acceptance speeches. Oh, it was so hard. 
It was so super hard. <laughs> and I tell you, yeah. I had I had to involve friends, my family. I made a billion mistakes. And in the end, the final take we have to use, I didn't even get to thank my family. So that was really terrible. I'm sorry, family. I tried. <laughs> Just forgot things. So anyway, that um, is exciting. And it was terrifying. Okay. Um, the other great thing that happened this week was we brought on a new head of business operations. And Ooh. so he's already sort wait, of- wait. Shaking things up. Did we? Did you already have a head of business operations? We did not. We did not. Okay. So when you say new, you mean like this is new, a new, totally new thing. Yeah, right. my son Hunter Taylor has officially joined the team. Whoa! So he started this uh, film thing, uh, you know, 2015, and hopefully he'll take us out. It did dawn on me, like I said before, somebody's going to have to inherit this project, so it's probably better that he comes in on the business side sooner rather than later. He has a shiny new business degree from Leeds School of Business at University of Colorado, and his major was in analytics, data analytics, and um, you know, he's formed his own company that's already profitable and he just has a lot of super awesome skills. However, um, he's got four job applications in the pipeline uh, for military and service things and they all got held up by COVID. So he has some extra time on his hands and he's going to help us out. So I'm super excited. And, about that. and he's living at home. So I, I was going to ask, how can you afford this guy? But now I get it. I'm yeah, very smart, very yeah, smart. yeah. I'm feeding him for his labor. And that's right. I think we may try to have him on next week so we can talk a little bit about how um, he's going to come in with a business mind and look at how uh, we, you know, he can help us. So yeah, those are the All exciting right. news things happening this week. We did get, uh, uh, you know, a few more rejections, which now, uh, ironically, just roll off my back. Doesn't matter one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually good to hear because everyone experiences rejection. It's just, you know, the, I think the your length in the game, your stick, you know, stickiness to filmmaking has to do with dealing with the bad as well as the good. And so, if you can let that stuff roll off your back, man, I mean, you're we're going to have to remove the, you know, this moniker of first time filmmaker and start calling you veteran filmmaker. right? You know, so. <laughs> Eventually, I hope that would be nice. Um, I think, you know, I'll have to go through this whole process again once reviews and critiques start coming in, you know, but uh, it is a, an important process. I had to learn it in the acting world. You just got to, you know, move on. So, um, you know, that I, I, I think was sort of good this week and, um, you know, we're, we're going to move on. I think what we, what has happened so far, I've been pretty amazed with. So we're going to enjoy that and not focus on just about anything else. Awesome. Yeah. Well, today we have, before I go to the next thing, do you have any other updates? Oh, well, are you noticed the shirt I'm wearing? Oh, all I can say is it looks like a surfboard. It says works. John Cooper works. I got a new car this weekend that I'm super excited about. A bright chili red <laughs> Mini Cooper. And, wow. and For all what? you filmmakers out there, important <laughs> stuff. It was a gift from my husband. I did not uh, buy this myself. But the exciting <laughs> thing is I will take it to the drive-in uh, for our Ohio screening. And my plan is to watch it out of the roof of my little sunroof. So that'll be fun. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Anyway, and I had another thing happen this week. I had a great consultation with um, 
somebody super special that's been helping us from the beginning. Uh, you reminded me uh, in our last podcast, you said, Christian, have you talked to anybody else other than David Patterson about distribution or get any advice? And I already had scheduled uh, an appointment with like my chief consultant who's been there from the beginning. And I thought, hey, why don't we have her on the podcast? So we have a special guest for everybody today. Awesome. Okay, well, she's been hiding this whole time, if you're watching this on Zoom or video or whatever, but she's about to reveal herself. It's the Gorilla War Freedom consultant, Nicole Bernardi-Rays. Give it up for Nicole Bernardi-Rays. Thank you, everybody. Hi. Hi, nice to be here. Welcome. Thank so, you. So, Nicole, you've been here from the beginning, is that right? I I have been on mute since this started, since this production started. I've been on Zoom for, what, four years now? Waiting, yeah. for, this t- waiting for this moment. Oh, long moment. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Now, you, you, you do consulting. You're gonna, we're going to hear about your input on distribution, but mm-hmm. I don't think many people know who you are. So, Nicole, if you could give us a background introduction to you know, who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, I am a independent filmmaker, uh, primarily doing documentaries now, but I've done, I've done a little bit of everything in my career, um, mostly as a producer, but also as a writer and director. I spent three years working as the executive director of IFP Chicago, which is how I became involved with this film. Um, Christian was looking for a fiscal sponsor, and I, um, you know, had a meeting with her and just really loved what she was doing in her vision and that she was a first-time filmmaker taking on such an impressive um, project. And so I just kept in touch with her after that and started consulting with her. Well, and we had known each other before that. It's true. It's true. You were like a, you were like a, you came through the door and I was like, ah, yes, you, yes, Christian. <laughs> um, we had worked together on a mutual friend of ours, uh, Sandy Gordon, who is an amazing producer and a, just a, a whirlwind of uh, organizational nature, if nature can be that organized. She's um, also it, one of our consultants and will also be on the podcast. She's incredible. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sandy's amazing. And so I met Christian when we were working on a, um, a pitch, a, a demo for a TV series concept. Yeah. That was well. my first real pitch project. So I was, I mean, I'd done field producing for Inside Edition, um, but I got this story and I went to Sandy, who was then a pitch producer at the time and said, you know, this, I was stuck on a train in a snowstorm pitching something or uh, producing something for Inside Edition. And I was with the Chicago, Chicago Slaughter owners for three hours and they said, you need to do a TV series about us. So we started doing that. And we hired Nicole as a field producer mm-hmm. uh, for one of our principal photography shoots. So that was the very first time that we worked together. And so when this project came up, Sandy said, you know, Nicole has a lot more experience in, you know, in independent film and especially documentary. You should seek her out. So uh, it was awesome when I went into the IFP office and there she was. IFP, if you don't know, is the uh, fiscal sponsor for our film. So Nicole, can you explain a little bit about what IFP does for us? Well, so IFP Chicago was the Chicago um, offshoot of uh, Independent Filmmaker Project, which is a New York nonprofit. They still exist. IFP Chicago actually is has merged with Stage 18 and is now the Illinois Film, Film Alliance. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
And um, so what, what we did and what you know, IFA is continuing to do is to support filmmakers wherever they are in their journey. And so fiscal sponsorship is a great way for filmmakers to um, raise funds. Uh, basically what it is is you get a, um, a nonprofit, in this case it was IFP Chicago, to sponsor you. And so instead of going out and having to find people who might want to invest in your film, you can, have, you can find people who will want to donate to your film. So it's a great way to, you know, build your budget without necessarily having to worry about paying people back. Yeah. 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 So, um, so you got involved, you guys, you know, knew someone who knew someone and uh, we were talking about distribution and getting, you know, because every step of the way is a new step for Christian. And so mm-hmm. we're, she's in the distribution phase. So what, what, I don't know, Christian, maybe you can kind of guide this conversation a little bit. But because there's so much to distribution, Christian's gotten an offer. She's mm-hmm. you know, reading through it. Um, but there's different avenues that could potentially go. Do you jump at the first offer? Do you wait? Like, what is, like, how have you been involved in that conversation? Sure. Well, so, I was going to say real quick. Go ahead. The reason that I called her last week is that she, you didn't get to the part about your experience where you actually have done and produced things. So, I'd like you to talk a little bit about what you've done. So we have some sort of reference. Um, and I really needed her to walk me through what does it look like after this phase? And that's why I'd like her to talk about today. Uh, and so why don't sure. you share that? Sure. So um, as Christian mentioned, I am a filmmaker. I've produced a number of documentaries. Um, the last, I'm producing two right now, which is a really fun thing to do in COVID. Um, but the last one that I produced, uh, Radical Grace, which is actually, you can kind of see right there. Um, you know, we did, we actually had a really nice run with it. It was a film about um, nuns who were kind of standing up against, uh, standing up to the Vatican. And we went through that entire process of looking at, you know, getting, you know, we, we premiered at an A-list festival uh, at Hot Docs. We had four offers walking away from that. We were very clear about our goals um, with what we wanted with the film and the impact we wanted to make, which that actually, when people talk about distribution, they always talk about it like after, you know, like the film is made. And you need to start thinking about distribution, honestly, probably before you're making the film, because you need to know why you're making the film and who you're making the film for and how you're going to get it to them. And there's lots of different ways you can do that. So, um, you know, with Radical Grace, we were able to I did a lot of the negotiating with the different distributors. We had, like I said, traditional distributors, um, people who were interested in working with us on just certain rights. Um, And then we knew that we wanted to have a really big impact campaign and have a lot of like non-theatrical things that we could control. So, um, you know, we did that process. It's, uh, it's still, I think it's still on iTunes. Like I said, um, I think when we were talking before we got started, uh, you know, different filmmakers also have to kind of figure out where, where they fit in, what their tolerance is in terms of how long you want to be involved in something like this. And for that particular film, it wasn't my film. I was a, you know, I was a work for hire producer and I, I took it through the distribution you know, process in terms of it being sold. And um, the filmmaker, Rebecca Parrish, is the person who's actually doing all the accounting and, you know, license renewals and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, that's where we're kind of our, that's, I think that's why Christian came to me. And I've, and I've worked with other filmmakers and other films too. Um, in fact, there's one that we premiered in 2014 and we finally got all of our, um, that's Algren, it's a feature doc, documentary, and we finally got everything 
in place. And so we're ready to go for distribution, look at distribution for that now, six years after we did our, our film, our film run, so our festival run. So it's, you know, every, every film has a different kind of path. Um, but in talking with Christian, she wanted to definitely think about like, what does it mean if she accepts this offer? Right. Yeah. And I just want to say, you mentioned Radical Grace, and I definitely think people should look for that and check it out. You also mentioned Algren. It's a, uh, a documentary that you worked on with Michael Kaplan, mm-hmm. who is also a consultant on this film. So yes. that's three heavy hitters that I just happened to know. I was so blessed to know early on. And uh, all of them have had just different paths. And I think filmmakers that are listening to this, they should know a couple of things. You know, every film is different. Every filmmaker is different. You have different desires to be involved on different levels. Your pathways are different. Um, for every filmmaker, there is a different path. And so my path is not going to be yours. Uh, but there are people like Nicole who are there as consultants who you can hire uh, to kind of guide you through the process. So if you uh, are a filmmaker and you're looking for someone, um, <laughs> Nicole, how can you, you. be found? Uh, you can find me. I'm a little bit hard to find these days because I don't have a website, but uh, you can email me at Nicole at MediaBot. TV. That's the best way to find me. Yeah, there you go. So my, you know, real question is, I know you may not have done this yourself, but what does it look like after you've made a deal with a distributor and you're locked in? Mm -hmm. When do I start seeing checks? (laughs) Well, that depends on the deal you made with them. Uh, you know, and what is, um, you know, what's included in um, their costs. If you've, if you have a good sense of what their costs are, if you've negotiated a cap on what their costs can be, if they're recouping their costs at the same time that you are getting money, I mean, these are all negotiating points. Um, But when it does start to turn a profit, and it also it depends if you've got somebody who's doing all your rights or if you've got, you know, if you took your educational rights and you have a company for your educational rights, if you're doing your non-theatrical on your own, if you are doing, you know, if you went with your a traditional distributor for broadcast, those all are different time frames for when, when you can start seeing money, right? And it's really about who is controlling, you know, what are the costs associated with them? Who gets to control how much those costs are and when do you... Um, you know, when are those paid back? Because if you're getting any money up front, that's a, you know, that's a minimum guarantee. It's, a, it's an advance on what they think that they can, you know, they can recoup. A lot of well, companies right now, now. are not. Huh? That's down now. Nobody's really doing that much. No, no it's only a very, a very special, yeah, it's only like a very, uh, a very small group of people are getting, you know, MGs. So yeah. um, and they usually have lots of, films and awards behind them. Everybody else, I think it has to be much more entrepreneurial and understand what they want. That's why it's always like, you have to know what your goals are, right? What is your goal? Like what, what's going to define success for you with this film? What's your goal? Is it to make money? Is it to get your name out there? Is it to sell a film? Is it all of the above? Then what's, then, you know, how do you, how do you prioritize those? And then that's, that's kind of how you really get to decide, you know, that should drive what your choices are in distribution. Yeah, I think those are the first questions you asked me way back when, when I, I mean, I, I worked with her through the script. She read the initial script. Uh, we did talk about distribution early on, even through that. She kept always asking me, what are your goals as a filmmaker? 
Do you want to just get this story out? Do you want to make more films and so you want to make a name for yourself? Do you want, do you have a specific dollar amount that you want to make? What are your goals? And that started at the very beginning. What are some other questions? Say those slower. You rattled them off really quickly. Oh, let's see. Because I get excited and then I forget what I say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think it's first and foremost is like, why are you making the film? And who are you making the film for? Right? Because you should be starting to build your audience while you're making your film. Um, Because we all need to be much more entrepreneurial. And the fact of the matter is that your audience is going to be for, you know, if you, if you build your audience right, it's not just for this film and the specific topic. It, you know, you're hopefully creating a long-term um, relationship with this audience that then can come with you to your next film and to your next film and however many films you want to do. Um, you know, like I said, the, who, who is it for? You know, um, we had a long talk, Christian, about like, is this film just for World War II buffs? right? Yeah. Is it, how much is it for World War II buffs and military buffs? How much is it for people who appreciate history? How much is it for people who, you know, this is a, these are really personal stories, you know, and these are stories of sacrifice. And, um, you know, what did you want to, you know, when you put the film in the world, what do you want it to achieve? Like, these are all things that you should be thinking about, A, when you're making your film or when you're thinking about making a film, um, but B, also, it all directly leads to distribution because, you know, it's, those are the people who you are making the film for and you want to make sure that you're getting it into their hands. Well, and it's interesting what I've learned about the distributors that you've mentioned is the reason we need to be thinking about uh, those questions is because distributors are so different. Let's mm-hmm. just look at North American distributors, okay? Not even worldwide. But in North America, you have distributors that have all sorts of different re- reputations. And they are, you know, A-list distributors all the way down the line. There are ones that focus on narr- narrative. There are ones that focus on documentaries. There are one that focus on just criminal justice. I mean, there are so as many filmmakers there are. There are different distribution companies, and they all have their own goals and their own relationships. And so you have to find the one that's a perfect fit for you. And that you have to ask a, a lot of different questions. And so for our film, we have tried to find filmmakers that – Um, have distributed previously documentaries about military or World War II subjects because they've cultivated those relationships with the History Channel, with the American Heroes Network, and they already have an audience that's following them, you know, on social media or on, you know, YouTube or iTunes or whatever. Um, It's just so big, Nicole. It's so, and and I was telling her the other day, like, I was... I was telling her about this agreement and I said, I was just, I'm just so afraid of making a mistake. Everything is so new. I am afraid of taking, you know, like taking this offer and it being bad. How do I know? I have a question about that. Cause I mean, you think of buying a house, you have representation, you have a real estate agent typically acting on your behalf who knows more than you do. Well, mm-hmm. you're the first time filmmaker and you're supposed to be negotiating a deal that you've never had to deal with because it's huge. Right. So I was wondering, Nicole, like in your experience, are you the filmmaker negotiating these deals? Do you have someone like a business manager? 
you have a, a lawyer, a lawyer can, um, generally can do that. Um, my lawyer is like working with me because I'm a really good fake lawyer. So I tend to just really dig into contracts and deal points and things like that myself. And then I come back to them and I'm like, I think this is kind of BS. And they're like, yep, it is BS. I'm like, great. Please tell them that it's BS. <laughs> so I don't have to, you know? Um, so yeah. I, yeah, I would recommend no one should be looking at legal stuff without a lawyer. And I think you have to consult. And luckily there's great places that you can, you can get um, not just people like myself, but people have been doing it for longer. And um, there's a place called the Film Collaborative, which is a nonprofit out of Los Angeles. And Orly Ravid, who started it, is a lawyer. And um, she's got a number of really, really amazing people who work with, with her who have been in the film festival and distribution end of things for a while. And they, um, you know, they're great and they don't cost that much. They don't cost that much money. Well, and we have in Chicago, there's the lawyers for the creative arts. Mm -hmm. So there are, um, there are lots of resources. I think what was interesting um, is I felt a lot of comfort over the last couple of weeks as I've been talking with this company about the distribution to have my new head of business operations in on the conversations. Because mm -hmm. I was, I'm hearing from my lawyer about legal stuff but Hunter has been thinking about the overall business perspective. And is this business plan for this company a wise business plan? So Hunter's looking and digging into this particular company, how they run their business, what their movies have done, and is analyzing that statistically in his brain to see if it's a good fit for us and to see if there are any warning signs of why it would be bad. Right. Now, it's a luxury. Not everybody has that. But I think if you're a first-time filmmaker listening to this, I would say look around you. You know, is your dad in the business mm -hmm. world? Do you have another relative that operates in the business world? I mean, even Josh Lindsay, you know, your day job is financial services. And so you have a lot of knowledge and understanding of a lot of these concepts, even though it may not be specifically toward uh, filmmaking, that business right. brain helps in this situation. Yeah. And there's some very simple things that you as a filmmaker can do too, you know, it, because it's a relationship as well. You have to trust these people because you're going to be in business with them from two to five years or longer. Um, I, you know, if, if they do what you, you know, if, if, if it's a good relationship, maybe you'll want to re renew with them. But, you know, it's things like asking, you know, just, how specific they are, are they when they when you're asking them questions? So, you know, if you get a deal and you're like, okay, you look at their catalog and you're like, okay, I see that you have many things that are similar to mine. So can you show, give me some specific case studies about films that you think are similar to mine and why you think they're similar to, my, to mine and how did they do? You know, and a lot of times distributors will get a little cagey and I understand that because you can't promise anybody anything. You know, it's like an, it's like an investor. You don't really want to tell an investor they're going to make X amount of money on your film because you don't know, right? But they, if they know what they're talking about, they can give you range. And so like with Radical Grace, um, we, we also split rights. So that, that was another part of it was like how, we're, how, how we're willing were they to take, take which rights, you know? And, and that's a business kind of thing for them as well. Um, so we went with somebody that we... Uh, did a couple that we, you know, we gave them a few more rights than, and we, we kept the ones that we thought would be more lucrative to us. And that wasn't in their wheelhouse anyway, which is something that, you know, Christian, we've been talking about with your film too, is like, what are the things you can do on your own versus what are the things that you want an expert partner to do for you? You know, and how much are you willing to give up, 
money-wise for that, money and control-wise for that. Um, you know, but somebody should be able to say, we can give you, it can be, even if it's like, you can make between five grand and 50 grand in the next 10 years. Like that's at least something, you know, it's a big, it's a big, you know, range and it may not sound that great. Um, but at least somebody is putting, you know, is, is able to put specifics and hopefully they can justify that versus somebody who's like, we really love what we're doing. And yeah, we're going to just, you know, people can talk a good game, but if they're not talking a specific game, then they, there's nothing for you to base anything on. Well, one of the, the things that I've really appreciated about this company that we are talking to, number one, they're so, uh, they listen well. They listen to what I want to do with the film. Uh, they did watch it. They could talk specifics about the film, why they thought their audience would be a good audience. They, uh, when I told them things I was uncomfortable about, they listened and they um, were willing to either give me, like they gave me theatrical rights or they gave me entertainment rights or they explained, and they explained their specific connections with different channels or different people. Uh, when I went back to them and said, you know, I'd really love some recommendations. Can I talk to filmmakers that you've worked with? They said, sure, here are these filmmakers with films that are similar to yours. Uh, and the way they treated me has felt very respectful and um, very specific. So for me so far, it feels good. Um, it, but I'll, this will always stick with me, Nicole. You said to me at some point, Christian, well, if you had a deal from another company, do you think you would feel differently? Or would you still feel anxiety about this? And I was like, you know what? You're right. I don't know that it matters what company I'm talking to right now. This is a whole new ball game. And any one of them can say anything. But until I'm in the relationship with them, I mean, I can vet them all as well as I can. But at the end of the day, I won't really know until we're in a relationship. Right. Thankfully. Are you, Christian, are you looking for other distribution offers right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we uh, reached out, you know, we've looked at several other U.S. distributors because I didn't, I didn't love the Canadian, you know, aspect of having to, if something went wrong, retain a Canadian attorney. So, yeah, we've been looking for U.S. distributors. Um, we certainly are looking for uh, um, European ones. We found one this week that we had a good conversation with. So I do think it's just a matter of taking it slowly, one step at a time, listening to people like Nicole. I'm so thankful for you. I really, I mean, I just cannot say that enough from um, your willingness to look at our script, to ask me hard questions, to push back on. I'll remember one time um, where she said to me, I really don't think that you need this part in the film. And it was actually the part with Hunter. And she goes, I think that just veers off from your story. And I said, I agree with you. I totally can see why you think that part is not necessary. Let me tell you why I'm choosing to leave it in. And I had a very, my reason for leaving it in, it, she thought was a solid reason and made mm -hmm. sense to leave it in. But I had to justify why. If it wasn't going to really build the story, what was my reason for leaving it in? And so it was hard questions like that all the way from the beginning. Um, 
that I've appreciated that you, you've really helped make this film uh, the success that it's been. I'm so grateful for you. And I, I recommend her highly if anyone is listening and you need a consultant. Nicole is, is wonderful. So thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it's been really exciting to see where you started from and, and really how, you know, how you pushed yourself, you know, you always knew what this film could do. You know, and, and what you wanted to, and you just had to kind of push yourself to get there. It's been a, it's been a ride, that's for sure. <laughs> well, well Christian, want, what's yeah. go ahead? I was just going to ask you, what's next with the distribution deal? Like, I mean, you got Hunter viewing it. You're, you're you're having dialogue. Like, how long does the dialogue go go on for before you guys sign the dotted line? Well, I feel like we're really close. Like, uh, in terms of they may get sick of us if we don't, you know, hurry up and uh, make a decision. But right now, I sent it to my lawyer to review. There were some things we wanted to have changed in there. And sadly, he has had a little relapse with COVID. And so that has um, drawn out this process. So I was supposed to get back to this distributor last week week and haven't been able to. So I'm waiting for this revised contract. I'll send it back to them. We'll see how they respond. Uh, but after that, I will have been satisfied and I, then I have to make a decision. Um, so yeah. yeah, but that would be just for North American rights. Right. So then there are so many others beyond that. There's European, there's Asian, there's South American rights. I mean, there's so many other rights you still have to consider. Um, and like Nicole said, these deals are two to five years. It seems like to me now it's more of a five-year deal. That's yeah. Well, it used to be a 10-year deal until people were like, no way, no dice. So, you know, um, I think that it really depends on what you can negotiate. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what rights are, you know, what rights you're licensing to them, because that's the other part of it. If it's something that is not your wheelhouse, if it's something that you feel comfortable with them taking and, you know, you know that you, you know how to make money on the rights that you've retained, then, you know. Well, right. That's why we're keeping theatrical. I know that I can four wall a theater. And I can bring in an audience. I can show the film. I can sell DVDs and books and T-shirts and, right. and walk away with cash that I can keep. Um, and I love doing that because I'm educating my audience. I'm bringing French people, veterans, and children's to get children together. And that's an incredible experience to give a community. Mm-hmm. So, and that's very rewarding for me. Um, so I have one last question. I want to touch on a little bit uh, self-distribution. You had mentioned that mm-hmm. before we started the podcast, that that is an option that a lot of people are doing. What's your personal thoughts on self-distribution and have you seen it uh, in practice with any of your friends or have you done it yourself? So I think that the thing for everybody needs to realize right now is that like, there's not just this, I think self-distribution gets a bad rap, but what you just talked about in terms of retaining theatrical rights is a form of self-distribution. So a lot of people... What I would recommend for everybody is to look at just kind of what, you know, what does this hybrid look like? Like who are the partners that you need on your distribution team that can help you maximize your revenue in all the different channels? You know, do you have those relationships on your own? Do you need a sales agent? Do you need a distributor? Like what do you need? Um, and I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear that. There's, there is construction going bit, on in the business. Yeah. Happening over there. <laughs> little construction. I don't know where, but it is happening. 
Um, so, you know, in terms of being like self-distribution, there's uh, a lot of people are, are doing certain parts of it, be it, you know, these kind of non-theatrical spaces, community screening type things, which I think are huge. And again, if you've been in, you know, in dialogue with your audience since you started your film, you know who those people are and you have a relationship with them. And so there's no real reason why you can't just talk to them directly about buying your film, you know. And that could be doing community screenings and renting it with a, you know, a, a screening fee that could be bringing you in and having you speak, those types of things. Um, you know, for things like educational distribution, I know people who have actually done educational distribution on their own. Um, I mean, you can do things like buy lists of like, you know, li university libraries and stuff. Just personally to me, I think that there's the amount of money that you pay an educational distributor and it's they're usually non-exclusive to me that's a better use of time and money is to have somebody who knows what they're doing and knows what conferences to go to go do it you know um, but speaking of conferences like conferences are a huge place that you can make money um, you know if your film has that has a has a conference circuit as you will you know so like for you it's you know obviously it's veterans it's military history it's world war ii it's d-day it's all of those you know it's uh French, French relationships like Alliance Francaise, you know, something doing a screening or something like that, being a part of a program at Alliance Francaise, that's all stuff that you can do on your own. Right. If you have the energy for it. That's where it also comes down to knowing your goals and knowing yourself. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. See, Josh, now you know why I brought her on. I understand now. I think our audience does too. This is, uh, this is why being good with people and networking and staying in contact with people, even though you may never think you'll cross paths again is a good idea. So Christian's great at that. Thank you. Yes. That is so She's true. a great person. So it's really fun to talk to her, you know? Thank you, Nicole. Yeah. yeah I really, you know, I, I do not, when everybody asked me like, how did you get started in the Chicago production community? Um, basically what I did was I went and I started volunteering at um, IPA, yeah, IPA, IPA, um, IPA and uh, just, you know, women in film and a whole bunch of other things to meet people and to help them with their projects, make relationships. And um, it has served me well. And I've met a lot of amazing people along the way, Nicole being one. So thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was fun. Awesome. Thank you, Nicole. And uh, to our listening audience, thank you. For listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.